uh, here to lead us in our call to worship is uh, Gabriel. Our call to worship is uh, taken from Hebrews 12:28. It says, "Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe." Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God. Everything. Everything that is alive relies on you, Lord. You are the only source of all life. And we thank you for sending Jesus. And we thank you for calling us together to celebrate his work. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Confess our sins. And today we have the scripture reading, the... Um, Confession of sin reading on this on the screen. Hopefully. Yes. I will read the leader part and we all read the uh, the other part. Loving God, I have betrayed you by following my own way. I have denied you by fearing to follow your paths. Lord Jesus, I have mocked you by not taking your death seriously. Lord I admit I am lost without you. Holy Spirit, hold me in your strong arms and give me your healing care. Guide me day by day to find your truth and grace in everything I do. If we confess our sins, the Lord is faithful and just and forgives our sins. So the assurance of pardon we found in John 11 that says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Amen. As we have our confession of, of sin, as we have uh, acknowledged that we are in need of a Savior, we are in need of God, we're in need of that sacrifice. Um, we come here not as perfect individuals. We all know that. Uh, we know that, but we try it often. It's interesting human behavior. But we rejoice in that Christ has died for Would us. We rejoice in that he has given us this life and this grace. Amen. And so now we have a, a confession of faith. Now that we know we have been pardoned, we, we dive into to who we are in Christ. And so uh, during this confession of faith, we get our, our confession of faith from uh, what we've been doing for some time, uh, New City Catechism. And of course, those of you that uh, are, may not be familiar with a, with a catechism, it's simply a learning tool to help us understand the Christian faith. So we had, it's in a question and answer form. And so this morning, I'll actually have all of you uh, stand with us this morning as we do this. <clears throat> I'll, answer, I'll ask the question, and uh, together we will, we will read the answer as to uh, who our Redeemer is. So who is the Redeemer? The only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the eternal Son of God, in whom God became man and bore the penalty for sin himself. Father, we are so grateful for your love. We are so grateful for your sacrifice. We rejoice this morning. We glorify your name. We lift you up. We ask now, God, that you would speak into our hearts. We ask that you would challenge our souls. Father, let us leave this place knowing that we have been pierced by your word. We love you so much, and it's in your amazing, precious, and beautiful name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Um, our, our wonderful, dear pastor is still away, so we, we do want to ask that you would, uh, uh, I think they're traveling today, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, they went to a wedding in Arizona, as many of you know, so they had a wonderful, nice vacation. And uh, we had an interesting Sunday last week. Uh, it was hot in here. There was no sound. But you know what? We glorified God anyway. And uh, today, well, everything worked today. So <laughs> praise God. Uh, but we're grateful for that. And so we want to continue to pray for Adam and Heather and the boys uh, and, and the rest of the family as they travel back home. And, uh, and we look forward to seeing them again. But uh, we are uh, blessed and privileged today to have our, our special speaker, as you, uh, uh, many of you know who he is already. I have had the privilege of meeting this man um, several months ago, but as soon as I met him, I thought, oh my goodness, I need to hang around this guy a lot more often. Uh, it was just a, it, he's been a, beyond a, a true blessing to me. Adam would say the exact same thing, and we're rejoicing uh, in, in doing this. But uh, before we do that, we have, uh, oh yeah, we got to get the kids out of here. We don't have to get them out of here. That sounded terrible. Uh, we're going to invite the children to go on to their wonderful, amazing event right now. So kids, if you would like to uh, go ahead and go to, uh, to Mosaic Kids Church. I just decided to jump into the service and forget about them. My apologies. <laughs> Krista's over here. Go ahead and follow her as uh, the kids are dismissed. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, you know him, uh, you love him, and we're privileged to have uh, Gabriel Gonzalez Camargo come and uh, bring the word of God to us this morning. Please give him a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it is really a privilege for me to be here with you guys this morning. Um, I miss Pastor Adam right now. But um, he said, would you bring the word of the Lord to the church when I'm in uh, Arizona? I say, sure, it would be a pleasure for me. It would be a pleasure. I don't know about you, but I, I hope it would be a pleasure for you, too. You have to uh, bear with my accent. I have a very strong accent. Um, my accent is in my speech. is not in my mind. So, having said that, I also want you to know, and you can see it right away, that I am uh, a product of the baby boomers generation. So we are against everything, we're revealed to everything, but there is one thing, uh, two songs that always keep in my mind. And I don't know, I'm sure you know who the Rolling Stones are. Mick Jagger, you know? Well, um, he used to be one of my heroes, not anymore. He, he is 72 years old, and he still, you know, gives concerts. Anyway, he wrote a song 
that is, is 51 years old, this song. And, it's, and, and sometimes you still listen to it. It is called, No, I Can Get No Satisfaction. Remember that one? I Can Get No Satisfaction. And, and why is that song so popular? I believe that in our society this song is so popular because uh, it has to be, it has to echo our society somehow. We are a society that is not pleased with anything. We're always looking, etc. So today uh, I will be uh, reading the scripture reading for today. Uh, it's one of my favorite uh, versions. Is the Broken English Bible. And the scripture reading is in Matthew 22, 23 to 33. And it is on the screen, I believe. Yes. It says the word of God this way. The same day, Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So to the second and the third, down to the seventh, in the and then after them, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all have her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection... They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, haven't you not read what's said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living and when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. The grass wither, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. So, <clears throat> reading this week, I found an article from the Huntington Post saying that according the general, and, and you know that I'm, I'm a counselor, so I'm reading all these uh, journals. According to the, general, the Journal of Consumer Psychology, retail therapy reduces sadness. <laughs> Ladies, you, you heard me well. <laughs> it's interesting, don't you think? Retail therapy reduces sadness. Well, professors from the University of Michigan argue that shopping reduces sadness. In other words, making purchase decisions downgrades our unhappiness. That's great, I guess. Just what the doctor recommended, I guess. Feeling sad? Go shopping. 
Go shopping until you're passed out. <laughs> and then you'll be happy. Now, interestingly, the article continues and says, on the other hand, numerous counter studies show that shopping is a stressor. A 2011 report found that those who pursue material possessions tend to be less satisfied. And they experience, experience fewer positive emotions every day. They also found that people who are stress shoppers also tend to be stress eaters and stress exercisers. The article ends with a question. So does shopping make us happier or sadder? And then they say, if anything, we're just more confused. And again, I believe that Mick Jagger was right. I can get no satisfaction. Oh, the other, fun, the other song that they have also is called um, No, You Can't Always Get What You Want. <laughs> like, and that's exactly gives us a portrait of our society today. It seems that the race for happiness is rooted in our society and we are all affected by it. You can see it. No wonder John Calvin once said, without the gospel, everything is useless and vain. Well, the thesis I want to prove today for you, the idea that I have is in this screen, it is God has already shaped our lives through the resurrection of Christ. So we don't need to add anything to make it better. I'll give it to you again. God has already shaped our lives through the resurrection of Christ. So we don't need to have anything to make it better. Now I'll go back to the, uh, the passage that we have. And I would say that tricky questions might deceive our understanding of life. And we all heard these questions. They're tricky questions. And tricky questions might deceive our understanding of life. I want you to see the, uh, the incident between Jesus and the Sadducees. The background about this portion of the scripture is that Jesus is around the temple. Around the tem temple, and he had already discussed things with the Pharisees, the Herodians, and now the Sadducees approached them. <clears throat> it's interesting, though. Interesting to note that previously and openly, in three occasions, Jesus talked about him raising from the dead. In three occasions. So he's not hiding anything. And that is one of the reasons why the Sadducees come to him. They set a trap to Jesus. They formulated a tricky question that they used to call the story of the seven brothers. 
This is a question that they made up. A question that was irrelevant to them. Because if you remember the story of the seventh brothers and the resurrection, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. So it is a tricky question because they, they, they wanted to prove Jesus. Now, before we continue, it would be good to know who these guys were. Scholars agreed that Sadducees were the aristocrat and priestly group of people that ruled the temple. They were in charge of ruling the temple. They were less in number of the Pharisees, but certainly they were very powerful in terms of exercising control about different uses of the, the temple. Most of them, most of these Sadducees, were wealthy. They were basically mundane. They were rude. They were arrogant. So you can imagine that the people of Israel didn't want to deal a lot with these guys because of their arrogancy. They hold also, and this is important, they believed that the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch is the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch and the old Jewish customs, they use it to base their faith. No other things. No other things. They also thought of themselves, according to the scholars, they, they thought that they were superior in intelligence. And they knew well the scriptures. They were opposed to the Pharisees because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Not only they didn't believe in the resurrection, they actually openly opposed to it. They deny it. And in addition to this, they also denied the existence of any angelical creature. So they were basically based on the Pentateuch and the old Jewish traditions. They were arrogant, they were wealthy, they thought of themselves better, etc. So these guys created an extreme and impossible, improbable case to approach Jesus. Now, the question that they formulated, they were not interested in knowing something from the master. They were not interested in learning something from Jesus. Basically, they wanted to stumble Jesus. That was the idea with the question. However, Jesus knew them well. He knew them, and he, he knew their intentions. In fact, we see in Matthew 3, uh, 7, that before, Jesus had an encounter with them. And it's interesting because if you see Matthew 3, 7, Jesus, the way that he bodily faced them was, you brood of vipers, who want you to flee from the wrath to come? So Jesus had a picture who these guys were already. And yet he entertained the question. The question that these teachers of the Pentateuch was based on the laws concerning levirate marriage. 
The liberate marriage is based in the Deuteronomy 25, and it is a law given for the propagation of the name line. So in a case a man dies without a son, his brother will take the widow so that his brother's name will not be erased from, the, uh, from Israel. Now, in this, with this in mind, with this question in mind, I want you to understand the approach of these people, the Sadducees, to Jesus. Jesus was aware of, the, uh, of their beliefs, and he knew the question had no possible answer. He knew that. The intention of the question was to ridicule Jesus, as well as the Pharisees, because they both believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, it's interesting also that scholars point out that with these questions, with this question, the Sadducees wanted to defend their position. And their position was, we don't believe in resurrection. This is it. This life is it. We're not going to resurrect. We will die, and that's it. And because of that, we need to understand that the fullness of life comes from comfortable living and having children. Comfortable living and having children. That's, the, that's, a, that's life for the Sadducees. After life, there is nothing. Does it sound familiar to you? I think we have a lot of Sadducees in this society today. To be honest, sometimes I, I found myself in that group. It's so difficult to live with the resurrection in my mind because I am so bombarded by this society to have more, to earn more money, to, to do this, to do that. Things like if, if, you're, if you haven't done it, you, you feel awkward. Have, in, have you been in Europe? Oh, last time I was in France. And you're like, France, London, haven't been there. So somehow you're less. How much you make? How, what's your annual salary? Where do you live? Things like that. Still have them. So for the Sadducees, that was a big, huge issue. In addition to that, you know, the, the resurrection, and the, there is no existence of any angelical or celestial creatures. Now, I am proposing that the right answer provides the right perception for our life. It's on the screen, I guess. According to scholars also, Sadducees brag about two things. They thought that they knew the scriptures. They were the masters. They were the scholars of that time. You want to know something about the scriptures? You talk to them. The other thing that they brag about was that they thought that they knew the power of God. The power of God was at their disposal. They were convinced of that. 
And that is exactly why Jesus told them, you know, you are wrong. You don't know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. The things that they were bragging about, Jesus is saying, you don't know the word. You don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. The response given by Jesus was twofold. I see in one hand that it was corrective. Remember, the Pharisees and all the crowd was listening to this. Jesus was engaged in this argument with the, the Sadducees, but everybody was listening. So he took that opportunity to make the statement. The corrective response that he did was to make clear that the Sadducees were mistaken. They were putting their hope on things of this world, such as marriage, such as offspring, wealth, legacy, things of that sort. But the reply of Jesus was also confronting because he puts in place this group of people, arrogant people, insolent men, and without any problem with confidence and authority, Jesus asserts exactly the opposite of what the Sadducees said. Jesus talked about the scathological vision of a world completely transformed by the power of God. Jesus stated in verse 29, you are wrong. You are wrong. So actually, in the original, it says, you should, it says, you are very wrong. Emphasizing that they were wrong. The original gives the idea that the Sadducees were not only wrong, but they were astray from the truth. They were missing the point. They were wrong not only in theory, but also in practice. They were wrong in theory because they didn't know the scripture. And they were wrong in practice because they didn't know the power of God. They were wrong. This argument, in this argument, Jesus also brings light to the Pharisees, to the crowd that is listening. They believe that the resurrection was going to happen. But the Pharisees thought also that the resurrection implied marital relations. Some Bible scholars indicate that Jesus interprets the scripture to both Sadducees and Pharisees by saying that in the resurrection, in the resurrection, marital functions will not be in existence. But humans will be like angels. And that, when I was reading that, it, I, that, was, that was a very difficult question. How come? How are we going to be like angels? Well, in two ways. Angels are free from eternal death. We will be free from eternal death. And the other thing, angels are free from sinful consequences. And we will be free from sinful consequences. When Jesus said, haven't you read? I mean, 
I want you to understand what I said before that Sadducees thought that they were the teachers of the law. Specifically, the Pentateuch, five books of Moses. And Jesus said to them, haven't you read? And this, the, the scripture that he quotes is Exodus 3, 6, which is one of the books that they're supposed to be masters. And he says, haven't you read? He calls for a very familiar uh, verse to them, which is in Exodus 3, 6, that says, I am, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Look what, is, what it says in the scripture. It says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It doesn't say, I was the God of. It says, I am. Being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob means staying in communion with them. That is why God is not a God of the death, but a God of the living. When God spoke to Moses through the burning bush, he was in communion with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Although they were already dead for a long time. You see the point? Moses is talking, is listening to God saying that he is the God. He is the God. I am the God. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in the mind of Moses, he's like, but they are dead already. Long time dead. And you still have communion with them? Yes, because the communion we have with God is not because of us. It's because who he is. God is the God of the living. Again, with the divine authority, Jesus concludes that there is indeed life after death and there is a resurrection. Resurrection is real. Thirdly, the word of God and the power of God shape the reality of our own life. Some people might be disappointed with the, some people might be disappointed with the idea of not having marital relations in eternity. And I say some, because I can see now the guy that is saying, "Eternity, having my mother-in-law throughout eternity." <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but some of you, some of Somebody might be disappointed with the idea of not having the companionship, the mutual affection that comes from marriage, plus the blessing of having children. Some people might even say, I want to be married forever. Well, Sadducees were sold to this idea. That was, that's why they treasure their possessions. They were wealthy. And they wanted to give that legacy to someone, to their children. 
That was so, that's why it's so important for them to have children. Because they can pass on to them something. Because after this life, there is nothing. Somehow, I see that thinking in our society today. However, when Jesus stated they're neither married nor are given in marriage, he is pointing to the power of God. Because in the resurrection, there is no longer need to be married. There is no longer need for propagation of the human race. And why is that? Because death has been defeated. We don't need that. Actually, God has something way better than the best thing that we can ever imagine. Something tells me that our search for happiness in this world is not the answer. I think we are understanding now that God has something better for us. And yet, we continue looking for ways to be happy. We continue searching for that that is going to make my day. We strive, 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 and nothing is fulfilling. We keep searching for something better, and we found no satisfaction. And I see that, you know, among my peers. We really see the society looking for uh, status. I was talking to a person, and he was telling me, you know, what I make is not a good salary here in the States. But if I compare this salary with other salaries around the world, I'm making a lot of money. It is in the States that we have that, that big, huge competition. And I know it's all over the world. But we live here in the States, and it is here where we see that. Competition. Who has more? We want more. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, puts it this way. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. No doubt this is very profound. We are made for another world. But this shouldn't be new for us. Jesus already said that in John 15, 19. He said, you, if you were of this world, the world would love you as his own. But because you're not of the world, 
but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Then also the Apostle John reminds us this in 1 John 2.15. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, this is very encouraging and yet very difficult. It is very encouraging because I feel already, you know, filled with, with the presence of God, knowing that I'm going to a better place. And yet, I'm living here. And tomorrow Monday, the race for happiness starts again in all America. Everybody wants to be happy. I guess I have to admit that Mick Jagger is right. In this world, there is no satisfaction guaranteed. Not by my money, not my family, not my, my wife, my possessions, my career, nothing will give me happiness. Somehow, somehow we need to understand that we are heaven-bound pilgrims. That's interesting. This is not home for us. This is not our home. So don't get comfortable. Once I realized that God already assured me the hope of resurrection, sealed by his word, sealed by his power, I don't mind living in this dissatisfying world. I don't mind living filled with deception, sickness, frustration, iniquity, and endless disappointments. I don't mind. It is crucial for us to realize that in verse 31, Jesus is the one who says that there is resurrection. Jesus assures us that there is life after death. Listen, these are Jesus' words. My Savior's words. My Redeemer's words. And ultimately, these are God's words. We should go by them. The Apostle Paul clearly understood these words when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 6.14, And God raised the Lord. And he will also raise us up by his power. In closing, there is a passage I would like to read. A passage that 
hopefully will set my mind, my, my eyes, on the things that we need to be paying attention to. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud, a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was sitting on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is a message for us today. I guess, I guess Gabriel needs to stop racing for happiness. I think we should start focusing more in the ultimate goal that we have. This world will pass. Why we need to focus on something that is going to be passing? The Lord asks us to be obedient. The Lord wants us to follow the truth. May the Holy Spirit allow us to do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your ultimate victory in this fallen world is assured. By your grace, loving Savior, enable us to overcome this world and the desires of the flesh and the pride of life. Allow us, Lord Jesus, to live out present, our present lives with the assurance that you are the resurrection and the life. Remind us, Lord, that whoever believes in you, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in you shall never die. These are your words, Lord, and they are our hope. In your name we pray. Amen. It's not here. But I would like to, if you don't mind, sing again the last verse on this one. Because it hammers what we're talking about. We should be waiting for the Savior to come. We are His. We're His people. We need to live with this joy. Thank you. And Lord, Haste the day when my faith shall be sad.
mistaken so amen to uh, send us off with a blessing Gabriel is uh, coming back up please stand bow your heads in prayer with me the benediction is taken from Philippians Philippians 4:23. it says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit amen have a beautiful week